You are listening to The Concierge on Monocle Radio. Coming up on today's programme, we tilt our Panama hat to a jaunty angle to parry some of that Dubai sun for a rundown of tips on a trip to the Emirates. From Medellin to Seattle, we put your questions to our concierge service. We take our first ride on the Venice Samplon Orient Express. I step aboard to be welcomed in my suite with caviar and champagne. My stewardess stops by to tell me a bit about the history of my cabin, constructed in 1926 and rumoured to have inspired the murder on the Orient Express. Adam Stewart of Sandals Resorts International is this week's guest on our travel interrogator and we bring you the lowdown for the perfect stay in Toronto. For a nightcap, pop to the Writer's Room Bar atop the Park Hyatt Hotel. This is where, in an earlier incarnation, Margaret Atwood and her literary friends would go for drinks and to share stories in the earlier days of their literary careers. That is all coming up on The Concierge in association with Allianz Partners. Welcome to The Concierge on Monocle Radio with me. Robert Bounds. And today we start the programme in Dubai with June marking one of the best times to visit for an off-season stay. Of course, it does help if you like your son in the high 30s. This month sees the World Padel League. That's a bit like indoor tennis. Quieter visits to the Dubai Mall and pretty much the perfect time for an evening Dow cruise. But how do we negotiate the best the Emirate has to offer? Well, we're going to get the lowdown on Frontline Dubai now for Marie-Ella Lanzanas, Chief Concierge at Waldorf Astoria Dubai, Palm Jumeirah. Mariela, lovely to have you on the programme. How warm is it where you are and what is your view from the hotels today? I'm here at the Palm Jumeirah and uh, currently the weather here is 33, 35 degrees Celsius, which is normal during the month of June. Mm. And I'm having a view of the Palm and uh, the Dubai Marina. So let's talk about June and July. And this is, I mean, this we've sort of called it an off-season time to come. This is obviously marking the kind of scorching summer when obviously a lot of the locals come to Europe and elsewhere. But what are we talking about in this sort of early summer season? Um, what, what are some of the things that you would recommend us to go off to if we were staying at the Waldorf Astoria? In general, of course, the hotels in the Palm and in the city will be having lower rates, definitely. So the, the tourists and our guests can take advantage of those offers to stay at different hotels and properties in, in Dubai. Plus, of course, people from staying in Europe or in, in Americas or North America will be enjoying, of course, the sunshine all throughout. And the uh, famous festival, which is the Dubai Summer Surprises, which basically attracts a lot of tourists to come to Dubai during the summer season. Normally, it takes like it's six weeks of, uh, you know, discounts in, in, in shopping malls and participating shops in Dubai in general. So uh, those are what's in store during the summer in Dubai. Lots of locals and residents are going or or are scheduled for vacation during this time of the year because of um, the, the season. They'll be going somewhere else colder. But we also, in the Palm in general, we are running maybe 80-70% occupancy in most of our properties in, in the Palm because of the, the lower rates. I was thinking about last time I enjoyed some time in Dubai, walking around Al-Zakal, the kind of cultural and gallery quarter, and between Jumeirah and Al-Wasl as well, these kind of areas which you can really walk around and enjoy. Do you see more people wanting to do stuff like that outside of the peak months of very hot summer? 
they still enjoy walking around these areas, but of course, from our location, of course, they cannot be walking. Most of them know, of course, that when they travel to you, that everything is walking distance, but that not in Dubai, most especially at the Palm. But if they go, for example, as you mentioned, the, the Al-Fahidi district or the historical district, when they go there, that is an area where you can walk around from the other side of the creek and then take the boat to the other side of the creek as well to explore both the textile markets and the Al-Sif area and also the gold and the spice market on the other side of the creek. And that's all walking distance from where they start in Al-Sif, for example. Also, the area uh, has the Shindaga Museum, which has been recently been renovated that has, you know, life-size, you know, dioramas that depict the, um, you know, the life before Dubai became what it is today. So the guests can can see the uh, the history of Dubai. Beautiful. Well, you paint a lovely picture, Mariela. Um, that was Mariela Lanzanas, Chief Concierge at Waldorf Astoria, Dubai, Palm Jumeirah. And up next, it's Monocle's very own concierge service at your service. And now to open our very own little black book, the part of the programme where we look to our own correspondents around the globe to answer your queries. The desk is open for your questions. Um, and first up, we're going to Gothenburg. And joining us on the line is Stuart Pierce. Um, Stuart, welcome to the programme. What, Stuart, is your question for the concierge? Yeah, well, my wife and I are travelling to Maui, which is where our youngest son lives. And so... We uh, arrive in Seattle and rather than just deplane and get on another plane, we thought let's stay for two or three days in Seattle and see what it's like because it's an interesting part of the world, not too dissimilar to Gothenburg and Sweden. So hence my question to the concierge, what could we see and do? Perfect. Well, thanks, Stuart. And we have uh, Monocle's Seattle correspondent and that is Gregory Scruggs on the line. Stuart, hello. Welcome to the Emerald City. I have some good news for you. The Alaska cruise season wraps up in October, so you are coming after the peak tourist crush. The bad news is that November is the beginning of what us locals call the big dark. That's our fall rainy season with cloudy skies and early sunsets. Though, coming from Sweden, I imagine you might be familiar with this type of dreary weather. But don't despair. Downtown boasts several cozy hotels that can serve as a home base for your three-day jaunt. I would take a look at Hotel Theodore, which offers some contemporary design in a heritage hotel property. The lobby fireplace at the Hotel Sorrento is an excellent place to curl up with a good book. And for Grand Hotel Elegance, the Fairmont Olympic just underwent a soup-to-nuts renovation. Their lobby, restaurant, and bar is second to none. The Big Dark is storytelling season, and us Seattleites, we make it through the winter by turning to our stages. Close to any downtown hotel, you'll find the Triple Door, a dinner theater with a steady calendar of live music and stage productions. A few blocks away in nearby Belltown, the Crocodile has multiple venues under one roof, and it's a reliable source to see touring musicians and live comedy. And you're in luck, Stuart, because in November, the Seattle Repertory Theater will host the North American debut of Islander, which was a hit at last year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But how should you spend those precious daylight hours? Well, I recommend that you head east from downtown and straight up Capitol Hill, where you'll find the city's best bookshop, Elliott Bay Book Company, and the charming cafe, Oddfellows. Around the corner, Chop House Row offers an eclectic assortment of shops, eateries, and cultural offerings. 
Now, on your walk, you'll notice that few Seattleites carry umbrellas. That's because most of the time, our rainy reputation is a bit of a misnomer. It's more of a light drizzle, and a rain jacket more than suffices. Stop into Freeman for made-in-Seattle waxed canvas rain slickers, and you'll blend right in with the locals. On your last day, I recommend you head north to Ballard for the best high street stroll in town. Pop into the Filson store and stop for a bite at all-day cafe Sabine. The fishing boats in this waterfront neighborhood might look familiar to you. Once a Scandinavian immigrant destination, Ballard is now home to the expertly curated National Nordic Museum. And around the corner from the museum, don't miss the Ballard Locks. This engineering marvel is also a natural wonder, where in November you just might catch the tail end of the annual salmon migration. The locks are surrounded by gardens, so take one last stroll in the gloom before you do what every Pacific Northwesterner dreams of doing to beat the big dark. Hop a plane to Hawaii. Enjoy! We'll be there in spirit. Uh, and that was Gregory Scruggs with a serious rundown on what there is to do in and around Seattle. Um, Stuart Pierce, we wish you bon voyage and thank you very much for your question and for tuning in indeed to the concierge. And next up, we head to Zurich and on the line is Louise Marcotte-Yervo. Louise, let's not pretend we don't know each other. You are a friend of Monocle's and indeed, gladly, we have you as a friend of the concierge as well. How is it in Zurich and have you dipped in the lake yet? It's very nice. We have a very sunny Zurich and uh, we're missing you, Rob, in Zurich. You need to come back very soon. Come for a swim. The lake is getting warmer and warmer, so we're almost there. We've had a sneak peek of your question, Louise, and you're off to Medellin in Colombia. Yes. Now, this is not, I mean, for the cultural tourists, perhaps this might be somewhere near the top of the list in South America. But what's your, what's your reason for, for visiting no, there's a big reason why I'm going to Medellin this summer. In August, I have a nephew who is getting married. But I've decided to arrive a bit earlier and go with the family. And hopefully I get to see as much as I can of Medellin. And that's why I'm calling you to find out if there's any things that I shouldn't be missing or specific special places I should be looking into. So what are the best bits in and around Medellin? Well, we've got Monocle's Columbia correspondent, Anastasia Maloney. And she has this for you, Louise. Over the past two decades... Medellin has successfully reinvented itself from a city that was infamous for violence and drug cartels to a modern, forward-looking city. Set in a valley is Colombia's second city, and the locals known as Paisas are friendly and proud residents. They share their city with digital nomads, backpackers, European and American tourists, and business leaders. Medellin is also Colombia's fashion capital, and the upmarket and leafy neighbourhood of El Poblado is where you'll find the best collections of clothes, swimwear, and jewellery by Colombian designers. Most small boutiques and local luxury brands are found along the Via Primavera. El Poblado is also where many of the best restaurants are found. Restaurant XO has a great tasting menu with a modern take on Colombian seafood, fish, and meat. I'd also recommend Zambumbi for a cosy bistro lunch. It's got a simple wooden decor with a menu that changes most weeks. Try the gnocchi made from cassava, or the Red Snapper sought from Colombia's Pacific coast. Medellin is also home to one of Latin America's most famous living artists, Fernando Botero. He's known for sculptures and paintings of plump men and women and his social commentary in Colombia's history. Some of his sculptures are displayed outside in the Plaza Botero, where the not-to-be-missed Museo de Antioquia stands. The museum's Art Deco building houses more Botero works and Colombian art that is best enjoyed without the crowds during the week. For a break, head to the Botanical Garden. One of the best things about Medellin is its year-round spring weather. It's never too hot and it's never too cold. 
and the botanical garden is well kept, and you can stroll through bamboo forests and admire the orchids and butterfly pavilion. As Medellin attracts a young tourist crowd, it's got a lively night scene. For a sunset cocktail with panoramic views of the city, there are several good options. Head to La Diera, a popular rooftop bar at the Click Clack Hotel. And for bars outside El Poblado, visit Lorena's neighborhood, where there's a strip of bars along what's known as La Setenta. Like any city in Latin America, there are vast gaps and harsh contrasts between the rich and poor. Over the years, Medellin has been a pioneer in urban renewal. To see what this looks like in practice, hop on the city's clean metro. The Paisas are always keen to point out that it's the only Colombian city with a metro. Medellin was the first city in the world to use the cable car as a system of mass transport. Take the cable car to the Santo Domingo station. You'll be rewarded with a different perspective inside to the city. Outside the station, there's a panoramic viewing area. It's best not to venture further than that and then hop back on the cable car to take you back down the mountain. Anastasia Maloney there. Thank you, Anastasia, for that. My thanks to Stuart Pierce and Louise Marquot-Giovo dialing into the concierge with their questions. And if you have a question, dear listeners, for the concierge, do write in. Uh, send your questions to concierge at monocle.com. Up next, it's all aboard the Orient Express. <laughs> A sumptuous moment for the concierge now, a trip aboard the Venice Samplon Orient Express, which has been newly refurbed by owners Belmond, ahead of next year's relaunch of a rival Orient Express owned by Accor. We asked Monocle's Charlotte MacDonald Gibson to don her empire-length ball gown and take a trip back to the golden age of rail travel. But before we hear from her time on the rails, she joins us on the line now. Charlotte, welcome to the programme. And this must have been something of a long straw in terms of being dispatched on an overseas trip. Tell us about the route and a little bit about the history of this particular train. Yes, it was it was a real hardship travelling on this uh, incredibly uh, luxurious train. So this is the Belmond Venice Saint-Plant Orient Express. This train has been running since 1982. And it's a private train. It's operated by the luxury Bellman Group, which is uh, uh, since 2019 owned by LMVH. It's essentially using the carriages which ran on the original, original Orient Express, which of course dates back to 1883, in fact, when the first Orient Express pulled out of Paris and headed for Bulgaria and then Constantinople, as it was then. I think when we think of the Orient Express, we all think about the sort of Art Deco heyday in the the 1920s and and 1930s. This is when Agatha Christie wrote Murder on the Orient Express. and, And you have this real luxurious travel experience that I think is what a lot of us have in our minds when we think of the Orient Express. Now, that service, the original Orient Express, that finished around 1977. But at that point, the US shipping tycoon James Sherwood bought up some of these old carriages restored them back to their sort of glory days of that sort of art deco heyday and launched this private service in 1982. And this is the train that I embarked upon my journey on, starting off in in Venice, ending in Paris, going through the Alps in the most glorious, glorious surrounds. The carriages are absolutely stunning. The food was absolutely amazing. The guests, it was like theatre, really. It was quite an experience. Sounds amazing. Um, Charlotte, you've given us a wonderful taster of your time on board the Orient Express. So let's take it away. Let's have your package. Thanks very much, Charlotte. It's mid-morning on a dazzling day in Venice. 
And as the speedboat of a luxury Bellman group starts dropping guests off at the pier of Venice Station, it already feels like I've stepped onto a film set. A cast of characters approaches Platform 4, where a red carpet signifies the check-in desk of the Belmond Venice Simplon Orient Express, the current version of the legendary train that has captured imaginations for decades. Everyone is sizing each other up ahead of our 22-hour journey through the Alps to Paris. Many guests exude old-school glamour and wealth, oversized sunglasses, Chanel garment bags and expensive tans. Then there are excited couples, clearly less accustomed to the trappings of luxury, and a few more eccentric sights. A woman approaches the check-in desk with a well-dressed teddy bear poking from a backpack. But whether passengers are wealthy and well-traveled, or once-in-a-lifetime bucket listers, everyone is united by the same giddy excitement as the 17 immaculately restored carriages from the golden age of travel make their grand arrival. Our work today will take us through five countries, first Italy by Verona and Granada, where we will head to Austria with a stop in Innsbruck in the late afternoon. I step aboard to be welcomed in my suite with caviar and champagne. My stewardess stops by to tell me a bit about the history of my cabin, constructed in 1926 and rumored to have inspired the murder of the Orient Express. It was under the snow in 1929, 50 kilometers from Istanbul, where Agatha Christie was inspired to write her book. It is this carefully curated myth-making that ensures the Bellman train's connection to the Orient Express brand. Because, technically speaking, the term Orient Express refers not to a train, but to a particular route across Europe launched in 1883. The current Venice Simplon Orient Express began life in 1977, when the late American shipping tycoon James Sherwood bought two sleeping cars at auction and set about recreating the train in all its Art Deco glory. All 17 carriages on the current train were built between 1926 and 1931, and many did run on branches of the original Orient Express route. The cars have been restored with painstaking attention to detail. My three-course lunch is served in the Côte d'Azur dining car, a first-class Pullman carriage decorated by French glass designer René Lalique in 1929. His beautifully restored original panels are still there today and inspire the interior design. The Venice Simplon Orient Express is booked up years in advance. Eight new suites were unveiled this month, a class between the historic cabins and the six top-of-the-range grand suites. They've introduced a host of new routes across Europe, and this winter will add another itinerary to the ski resort of Courcheval. There is a strict dress code of no casual wear in any public spaces and black tie for dinner. Hi. And everyone on board is playing their role immaculately. After an opulent dinner, from the menu of French chef Jean Imbert, I head to the bar car. Decked out in low lighting and sapphire upholstery, it's an intimate space in a train which can accommodate 100 people, and there is much camaraderie as a particularly sharp bend deposits dancing passengers in each other's laps. Ed Barman, Gennaro Gianni mixes the signature cocktails with a flourish as charismatic singer-trombonist Luigi Di Gaspari works his way through the classics. As the drinks flow, the clock passes midnight and the train rumbles through Switzerland. Some members of staff and some passengers are roped in for a number 
before the whole bar finds itself singing along. Good morning. In a few minutes, we will be arriving in Paris Garden. The next morning, as we approach a rainy Paris, the train is eerily quiet. Passengers perhaps enjoying their last few moments in their beautiful cabins or sleeping off in the last few cocktails before it's time to step out of the golden age and back to reality. Thank you and bye-bye. Mesdames et messieurs, bonjour. In 2021, Sandals Resorts International heralded the 40th anniversary of its flagship brand for couples only, Sandals Resorts. Since opening its doors in Montego Bay in 1981, founder Gordon Butch Stewart focused on building tourism throughout the Caribbean on some of the most sought after stretches of sand in the world. We'll list the islands to get you in the spirit. Jamaica, the Bahamas, St. Lucia, Grenada, Barbados, Antigua, Curaçao and the Turks and Caicos. Just sounds sunny, doesn't it? Gordon's son, the executive chairman Adam Stewart, spoke to the concierge on the continuation of his father's legacy into the next generation. My father founded this company in 1981, Sandals Resorts International. Started in Jamaica and then grew right throughout the Caribbean into Antigua, St. Lucia, the Bahamas, Grenada, Barbados. And it's just been a bit of a whirlwind traveling through the Caribbean and sharing our Caribbean with the world. That was always his dream and the company was founded the year I was born in 1981. So I literally grew up with the company as a sibling at the dining table and watching it grow from 99 bedrooms in Montego Bay, Jamaica to what it is today. It's been an incredible honor for me to assume the position of executive chairman. We have always been an absolutely hands-on private family company. Innovation at the center of everything that we do. Our customer at the center of everything that we do. As a kid in the back room, I watched my dad just do more, give more, put more into our product, more restaurants, you know, made sure that we always built on the absolute best beaches. You know, the, the winds in the Caribbean, the trade winds, as they call them, go from the east to the west. So the western beaches are always the most calm and tranquil. The sunsets in the west, Sandals is all about, you know, two people in love. It was just about this journey of giving the customer a level of experience that was second to none anywhere in the world but doing it in our sandbox, which was the Caribbean region. Sandals led the Caribbean tourism recovery. Since then, it's been about not only reopening and sort of restabilizing, but about further innovations. Sandals exists in a segment called all-inclusive. And all-inclusive is, you know, means nothing to anyone. Some people include cocktails, some people don't, some people have upcharged restaurants, some people they have hidden charges. If you want internet, you have to go to the lobby. There are all these little elements of it. Now, back to how my family and I, you know, starting with my father, developed this company. It's all about the customer. Perceptively, I think all-inclusive gets a fair stigma attached to it because it's so all over the place. And in most instances, it's anything but all-inclusive. In our world, it's one price, upfront, nothing upcharge, transfers, taxes, even your tipping. People look at sandals and they may put it in a category and say it's not elevated enough, not knowing 
epitome of luxury and quality in the Caribbean region is Sandals Resorts. In the early days, we were the first company to ever put a swim-up pool bar in the, in the hemisphere that we operate in. First to put hair dryers in the room, first to have color televisions. Those were big deals in the 1980s, early 1980s and late 1980s. These days, we were the first to introduce bottler service. We were the first to do over-the-water bungalows, over-water chapels with the eyelids made out of glass. And that list of innovations is kind of endless. From April 2023, we'll be opening a new resort in St. Vincent, which is a chain of islands in the Central and Eastern Caribbean. Really beautiful. And then behind that, there is another beaches resort, our family brand, coming in Jamaica. And pretty much every four to six months, for as long as I can see, we're gonna be opening a new resort somewhere in the Caribbean. We're gonna remain in the Caribbean basin. We're 24 resorts, and we're looking to double the size of our footprint in the next decade or so. We build these resorts one at a time, one of a kind. If it's not grade A real estate, it's not good enough for Sandals and Beaches Resorts. We are incredible at training our people through the Sandals Corporate University, which is our on-the-job training platform, internationally accredited. We believe in the Caribbean as a sixth-generation Jamaican from the Caribbean. We believe in the power of everything that the Caribbean has to offer. And we want to share that with the world more and more. So we'll go through each of the islands on the best spots and build the most innovative resorts that you've ever seen. That was Sandals Resorts International Executive Chairman Adam Stewart. Next up, the secret to a perfect break in Toronto. Just like the Monocle team, Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences. Allianz Partners' reputation for excellence and the continuous drive to innovate means the business is uniquely equipped to accompany its partners and customers with their ever-changing travel needs. So get out there and visit the places, enjoy the experiences, and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. Allianz Partners. Get the most out of your experience with peace of mind. As the capital city of Ontario, Toronto is a vibrant metropolis made up of a diverse population, soaring skyscrapers and green spaces. From its iconic landmarks and delicious food to its successful sports teams, the city remains a must-visit destination. So where to start and how to dive into a select few nights in the city? Well, Monocle's Toronto correspondent, Thomas Lewis, walked us through the perfect itinerary. If you're coming to Toronto in the next couple of weeks, you might only notice that politics is in the air here thanks to an election for a new mayor that's coming up at the end of June. If you venture out into the city's neighbourhoods, where brightly coloured yard signs and placards for one candidate or another have been spoked into front gardens right across the city. But local politics aside, venture into these areas you should because Toronto's long thought of itself more as a city of neighbourhoods than as one monolithic place that defines itself in a single way. And it's here, in the neighbourhoods, that some of the city's best independent restaurants, bars, coffee shops, retailers of clothing, books and vinyl records, and even smaller independent cinemas and other live music and arts venues call home. To stay, we'd recommend checking into the Ace Hotel. It opened last year and is the Ace's first outpost in Canada. 
It was designed by Toronto's Shim Sutcliffe Studio, who clad the building in deep burgundy-coloured brick, a hark back to Toronto's pedigree as a historic brick-making centre. And if on your first night at the Ace you don't fancy venturing too far into the city, reserve a table at Alder, the hotel's excellent in-house restaurant, which is helmed by the Canadian chef Patrick Chris, and is a rarity in the city because its kitchens are wood-fired. If you're visiting Toronto for business, book a table in or around the Yorkville neighbourhood. Osteria Julia, helmed by head chef Rob Rossi, is excellent for dinner. You should certainly try the platter of grilled mixed seafood. And for a nightcap, pop to the Writer's Room Bar atop the Park Hyatt Hotel. This is where, in an earlier incarnation, Margaret Atwood and her literary friends would go for drinks and to share stories in the earlier days of their literary careers. For a coffee on your first morning here, there are lots of options. Ideal Coffee, Pilot and Sam James are among the most recognisable independent coffee shop brands in the city. But we'd recommend popping into Milky's on Dundas Street West. For the coffee, of course, but also for the interior, which is lined with interlocking geometric wood panels, which are designed by Bate Sorber, one of Toronto's nicest boutique architecture firms. Milky's also sells a nicely curated array of ceramics from Japan, Switzerland and the Netherlands if you're looking for a keepsake to take home with you. In the evening, check the listings at Massey Hall, which is one of Canada's most storied live music venues, which reopened last year following a major restoration. Dizzy Gillespie, Justin Bieber, even Winston Churchill and the Dalai Lama are among those to have graced its hallowed stage over the years since it opened in the late 19th century. For music to take home with you, pay a visit to one of Toronto's fine array of record shops. Rotate This on Ossington Avenue has been a staple since it opened in 1991, and Tiny Record Shop is a fine repository of vinyl in the Riverside neighbourhood in Toronto's East End. If you have some additional time to while away on a sunny day while you're here, head to Berksy Park downtown and take a seat near the monumental fountain that was designed by Montreal's Claude Cormier and unveiled in 2017. The fountain's 27 cast-iron water-spouting sculptures of dogs of different breeds were designed, in part, to pay tribute to Toronto's deep affection for man's best friend. This city of more than 2.8 million people is also home to almost a quarter of a million pet dogs. Before you end your visit, make sure you spend some time on the beach. Toronto is a beachside city after all. There are 11 nicely kept public beaches here, but we'd suggest taking the short ferry ride to the Toronto Islands and heading to Gibraltar Point for an afternoon. Make sure to pick up some reading material and some picnic provisions for your voyage to the islands before you go, however. Type books, Monkey's Paw and Flying Books, which is a few doors down from Monocle's shop here in the city, are among our favourites. For magazines, head to Issues, a lovely new magazine shop which opened in Toronto's Little Portugal neighbourhood last year. A short walk north of Issues is Bricolage Bakery on College Street, it's a wonderful new bakehouse that fuses Asian and French baking techniques. At the end of your day at the beach, try and time your return to the mainland from the islands when the sun is setting. 
The view of Toronto's skyline, silhouetted against the colours of sundown, is a majestic sight with which to draw your visit to Canada's biggest city to a close. Thanks to Monocle's Toronto correspondent there, Tomas Lewis, with the lowdown on Toronto. That is it for today's programme. Thanks to our concierge team, Anastasia Maloney, Gregory Scruggs and Tomas Lewis. This programme was produced by Tom Webb, researched by Monica Lillis and studio managed by Callum McLean. If you have a question for the concierge, do drop us an email on concierge at monocle.com. Join us next week when we'll be riding the night rails once again, but this time between Wilmington, Delaware and Washington, D.C. I've been Robert Bound. Thank you very much for tuning in and happy travels. Thank you.